Thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your love and for allowing us to be here in this place to study your word, to contemplate heavenly themes, to be challenged by the spoken, written word. And uh, Lord, we just ask that as we open your word, that our hearts and minds will be open to receive it, that you would bring revival that will result in a reformation and a restoration of our lives. Please, dear God, speak to us and give us spiritual ears to hear your voice. And bless us, Lord, is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to the book of James, chapter 1, as we begin our study this morning entitled, The Deplorable Disease of the Double Mind. We're going to James chapter 1, and as you're turning there, allow me to quickly uh, review the things that we've been studying, especially on our first night here at GYCSE. We talked about our theme entitled, Here We Stand, and we contemplated that question in the book of Revelation chapter 6, where it describes the second coming of Christ, where the heavens depart as a scroll and the mountains and islands are shaken and moved out of their places. And it describes a group of people from every walk of life running and seeking to hide from the face of him who sits on the throne from King Jesus. These are a group of people who are falling and failing when the Lord comes. They're not ready. They're filled with fear instead of love for God. And then the cry and question of desperation rings from their lips. They ask the question, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And we, we, we learn that that's the only thing that's going to matter on this day. Nothing else will matter. Everything that seems so important to us in the here and now will fade into eternal insignificance. The only thing that will count, the only thing that will matter is are we ready and are we standing for this great and awesome day? And then we saw that that's how Revelation chapter 6 closes with that question, who shall be able to stand? And that question is answered when you follow the context into the next chapter. For in the seventh chapter of Revelation, it describes a final generation, a group of people who are standing and they are ready when the winds of strife and trouble are blowing. And so this morning, we just want to go a little bit further in finding the answer to the question, who shall be able to stand? We also learned that Jesus answered that question, who shall be able to stand, when he told that metaphor about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. It says that the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew upon that house and it stood firm because it had a solid, firm foundation. The foundation was the rock. And Jesus said that that man who had that foundation whose faith was able to withstand the storm and the testing time, Jesus said that that man was a wise man. And so this morning, we want to go a little bit further and ask the question, what does it mean to be a wise man? Now, if you're wise, that means you must have what? Wisdom. The chief characteristic of a wise man is that man has wisdom. And so if we want to be standing in the last days, we must be wise men and women. We need to have the wisdom of the Lord. And so the question is, how do we get this wisdom that enables us to stand in the last days? All we have to do is ask. James chapter 1 and verse 5 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given to him. So the Bible says all we need to do is ask, but how shall we ask? Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers 
is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed about. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. For a double-minded man, a what kind of man? A double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable in all of his ways. So we see in this passage, Brother James tells us that wisdom is only given to the stable-minded man, not the double-minded man, but the stable-minded man who asks in faith without anything wavering. This man is sturdy and strong and stable in his faith. He's not tossed here and there and everywhere by the winds of strife and the winds of his circumstances. This man is unmoved by the storm because his house rests upon that firm foundation. And today, friends, that's the type of young people that God is calling us to be. One that does not waver. One that is not easily moved by circumstances. One that is not easily moved by his own carnal flesh. The Bible contrasts the man that does not waver with the double-minded man who is like the wave of the sea that is tossed here and there by the wind. And this man, the Bible says, is a double-minded man, unstable, unreliable, vacillating and fluctuating and inconsistent and incontinent in all of his ways. Here's the man that is trying to serve God with a double mind, trying to serve two masters, trying to please both sides, trying to hold on to God with one hand and the world with the other hand. And this individual is the lukewarm Christian, half-hearted, double-minded, wishy-washy. And the Bible says that this man will not receive the wisdom of God. And without it, they will not be able to stand in the last days. And so today we want to find out what does it mean to be cured from this deplorable disease, the disease of double-mindedness. You see, many people find discipleship difficult because we're trying to serve God with a double mind. We're trying to serve two masters. And that is one of the problems of the Laodicean church. The Bible says that they're not hot, nor are they cold, but they are what? Lukewarm. They're not wicked, and they don't consider themselves righteous, or they consider themselves righteous, but not in the eyes of the Lord. They are double-minded. And those who are seeking to serve God with this type of mind is, an attempting, is attempting an impossibility. For Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. I call it schizophrenic spirituality, the deplorable disease of the double mind. And friends, the, the, the inconsistencies of our lives and the uh, unstableness of our lives is, is, is simply a symptom of this disease of double-mindedness. And so uh, I want to be cured from this disease. Amen? I want spiritual stability and consistency in my spiritual walk. And so what we're going to do this morning is we want to examine a character in the Bible, a patient who suffered from this terrible disease, so that we might learn from his mistakes He's somewhat of a background character in the Bible. We don't hear so much, a a lot about him, but his life is a story that teaches us how to either fail or excel in life. I invite you to take your Bible and now turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 49. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 49, we find the prophet, the man of God, Jacob, who became Israel. He's on his deathbed. He's about to die. 
And before he does, he gathers his sons together. And he begins to prophesy over their future and over their life. And as Jacob gathers his sons, notice what it says in Genesis 49, beginning with verse 1. If you're there and if you're ready to study the Bible, would you please say amen? It says, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. So here we find Jacob is on his deathbed. He gathers his sons together to speak his final words. Now, when a person comes down to die, when they're about to die and when they know it, usually their last words are well thought out and well chosen. This man has had an entire lifetime to think about what he would say now. And the words that, of a person on his deathbed is, is usually not frivolous and, and fluffy. Usually it's well thought out. His words are well chosen. And what Jacob, Jacob is about to say to his sons, he's hoping will make a lasting and even an everlasting impression. He calls them not only as their father, but he calls them as the prophet of the Lord. And beginning at the eldest, down to the youngest, he begins to give to his sons the words that the Lord had given him to give. And notice what he said concerning his firstborn son, which is the character, this patient that suffered from the disease of double-mindedness. Notice what he says concerning Reuben. Verse 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Here we find Jacob begins by telling and describing to Reuben what Reuben should have been as the firstborn son. You see, friends, the firstborn was to be the representative of the father's might and power and wisdom and strength. And whenever a family had a son, a firstborn son, it brought a great sense of pride and joy because now the family name will be carried on. And when you study the, 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 the birthright blessing in the Bible that usually went to the firstborn son, the birthright blessing included inheriting the official authority of the father, inheriting most of the father's possessions. In this family, the firstborn would become the leading tribe of all, all the children, and in this family also, the firstborn would become the progenitor of the promised seed, the coming Messiah. That was to be given to Reuben. And so we see that, 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 that Reuben, he was to receive all of this. His future seems to be set and secure. It's bright. Everything seems to be all good. It should have been for Reuben, at least, as the firstborn son. But as Jacob begins to think about the true character of his firstborn, I can imagine him as a father, tears welling up in his eyes. Because he realizes that which Reuben should have been, he was not. His life was one that did not reach its full potential. And now Jacob has to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth to his son Reuben. You see, love for his son compelled him to give the whole message, even though this next part was an uncomfortable thing to say. And friends, don't miss that point that true love never seeks to cover up truth, but it always seeks to make truth plain. Why? Because Jesus said, if we know the truth, the truth will make us free. It's even better than being set free. The truth will make us free. And friends, many people in our day and age would rather believe a beautiful lie than a difficult truth. And many people think that love is just patting someone on the back and telling them that it's all good. But friends, it's a tragedy to be sick and people and you not realize it. 
And so Reuben was spiritually sick. And so Jacob had to tell him what, what, what his true condition was. Because let me tell you, friends, the only way the truth can make us free, or I should say, before the truth can make us free, we first must recognize the lie that's holding us in bondage. Only when we see the lie that holds us enslaved, then the truth can make us free. And so Jacob continues and notice what he says in verse 4. Here's Reuben's character. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch, and that's how the prophecy over Reuben's life ends. Jacob says, Reuben, you're unstable like water, wishy-washy, back and forth. You're like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed about, easily moved by your own circumstance. You're inconsistent. You're unstable, vacillating, compromising, rationalizing. And because of this character that you've developed, you will not excel in life. See, Reuben's character is one that fits the description of an individual that wants to please both sides and serve two masters, double-minded and lukewarm. And friends, that's the condition of the Laodicean church. And perhaps you can relate with that in a very personal way this morning. Reuben was easily moved by his own emotions. You see, when Jacob was mourning over the loss of his wife, Rachel, Bible says that Reuben, instead of comforting his father and ministering to his father and relieving his father's sufferings, instead of doing that, Reuben went to sleep with his father's concubine. He claimed to be a son. He talked like a son. But instead of being a true son, he was living for himself. Can you relate with that? Perhaps you can think about people in the church who's like this. People who are lukewarm, at, sometimes they live a certain way and at other times they live very differently. Depending on who they're surrounded by, depending on who they're with, they act a certain way in church, but at other times in class or at other uh, contexts, they act very differently and they live very differently. This is a double-minded individual. And maybe you can think about people like that. But friends, I want to encourage us that as we contemplate the character of Reuben, let's look in our own hearts. Let's examine our own lives. And instead of looking around, let's look within and let's ask the Lord, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Let's take a deeper look at ourselves in the character of Reuben, shall we? Reuben's double-mindedness and his instability and his inconsistencies are clearly demonstrated in the story of his life. Let's go in our Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, where we find a, 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 an example of the double-minded character of Israel's firstborn son. We're going to Genesis, chapter 39, and as you're turning there, it's the story of how Reuben dealt with, with, with his brothers in the dealing with the youngest, Joseph. And you remember, friends, the story of Joseph, how he went to minister to his brothers who are in the field? The character of Joseph is beautiful. His life is the type of Jesus Christ. In fact, this story uh, it, it has strong parallels to the mission of Christ, and I want you to, 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 to notice them with me as I mention them. The father, Jacob, sends his son, Joseph, into the field to minister to his brothers and to bring them some bread. And as Joseph approaches his brothers in the field to bring them some bread to minister to them, the Bible says that, that they looked upon him and they envied him. 
Joseph came to his own, but his own received him not. Instead of receiving him as a brother, they counted him as an enemy. They saw the coat of many colors, and they did not like that robe because they didn't have one themselves. They didn't like the robe that he was wearing. It excited their jealousy and their envy. And so the Bible says that the brothers of Joseph came together, and they said, we need to get rid of him. And so what happened? They stripped him of his coat of many colors. They threw him into an empty pit, and they sold him for some silver coins. But eventually, Joseph came out of that pit. It was like a resurrection. And through providence, he was led to the place right next to the, at the right hand of the throne of Pharaoh. When the famine came, the brothers of Joseph were in trouble. And so now they come to Egypt, they come to Joseph, not realizing really who he is, but they bow the knee to Joseph and they call him Lord. And the one that they, that they rejected and threw into a pit and sold for silver coins ended up being their Lord and Savior. Does that sound familiar? And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus has done for us. The heavenly father sent his son Jesus to the field of the world to bring to us the bread of life. But when Jesus came, we looked upon him as an enemy. We saw the robe of righteousness. We saw the period of his character. And we did not want it because it was an open rebuke to our impurity. And so we stripped him of his robe. We cast him into the pit. We sold him for silver coins. But he came up out of that pit, resurrected to the right hand of the throne of God, And when it's all been said and done, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. And so what the brothers of Joseph did to him, what the sons of Jacob did to Joseph, we have done to Jesus. And before before the, the brothers could carry out their plan, Reuben stepped in to intervene. Notice what it says in Genesis 37 and verse 21. Genesis 37, verse 21, the Bible says, But Reuben heard it. He heard the evil plots of his brothers. Reuben heard it and delivered him out of their hands. And he said, Let us not kill him. You see, at first, we see Reuben stepping in and doing the right thing. He said, Let's not kill him. And Reuben should have stopped right there, but unfortunately, he kept running his mouth. And notice what happens in verse 22. He introduces a compromise to pacify their hatred. Reuben said, shed no blood, but, and that's where he spoke too much, but let cast him into the pit which is in the wilderness and lay not a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to their father. Here we find uh, Reuben as the eldest brother should have protected his youngest brother. It is a brotherly instinct to to, to protect those who are younger and weaker than we are. Reuben was the one that was supposed to be in charge. I mean, he was the eldest. He was the firstborn. Reuben had the authority, but he lacked the courage. He wanted to do the right thing, but he did not want to displease his brothers. He was afraid to stand up and stand out and to speak up and speak out. And because of his instability, because of his rationalizing character, instead of rebuking their satanic schemes, he introduced a compromise. He said, let us notice he did not say you. He said us. He did not want to disassociate himself with the crowd. 
let us not kill him because if Joseph was dead, he couldn't bring him back to the father. But instead, here's the compromise, cast him into a pit. He said this, thinking to himself, later on, I will deliver my brother from the pit, bring him back to my father, and I will appear as the Savior, and I can do it without displeasing my other brothers. He wanted to do the right thing without disturbing the dissenters. He wanted to please his brothers and still appear like the Savior. But Reuben is attempting an impossibility. For it is impossible to please man and still look like Jesus, friends. But have you ever done this in your life? Have you ever tried to please others and yet still try to be a Christian looking like Christ? Maybe you've lowered your standards at some point in your life because you wanted to fit in with the popular crowd. Maybe you kept quiet at school and you did not speak up when opportunity came because you were so concerned about how other people would view you if you spoke up for Christ and the truth. And you did not speak up because you were afraid of being rejected. You were afraid of looking like a a, a weakling in front of others. And as a result, you kept silent. Maybe as a parent, you gave in to your child's wishes because you wanted to be their friend instead of being their parent. Or maybe you have been ignoring God's call in your life because to listen to God's call in your life would bring you, would put you at odds with the expectations of your parents and the expectations of others. Maybe you began to work on the Sabbath to secure that job promotion, put aside your commitment to maintain a superficial peace with a loved one. Or maybe as a young person, you gave yourself away, you gave too much to your boyfriend because you were afraid to lose him. It's impossible to please man and still be a servant of Christ because Jesus said no man can serve two masters. You see, compromise, uncorrected, will eventually lead to complete apostasy. And that's what happened in the story of Reuben. In fact, notice what it says in verse 29. The next, uh, down the story, it says, verse 29, Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and where shall I go? Reuben realized that his plan did not work. So now... Because his back is against the wall. Now, because Joseph has been sold already, Reuben now realizes that his compromise led to the complete betrayal of his brother. And now he's compelled to cover his sin with more sin. This is just one example of the character of Reuben. We find that he is rationalizing and and compromising. He's unstable and unreliable, easily moved by his own circumstances. And because of this, friends, he did not excel. He did not have the preeminence. He did not succeed in life. In fact, you can just do a word search on the word Reuben and, and just see what the Bible says concerning him. Reuben, this prophecy from Jacob, you will not excel, is demonstrated very clearly in the life of Reuben in his lineage and legacy that he left to the world. Reuben had no prophets that came from him, no judges and no kings, only a few warriors. He left behind a compromising example that his children ended up following. In fact, turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 32. Numbers, what chapter did I say? Numbers 32. Notice the example that he left to his children. Numbers chapter 32. Notice what it says in verse 14 and And uh, in this passage, we find that the Israelites are wandering through the wilderness. God is wanting to bring them all the way across the River Jordan into the promised land. 
But as they're wandering in the wilderness, it was the tribe of Reuben that got tired of walking with God. They, 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 they said, they looked at the fertile fields of the wilderness and they said to Moses, can't we just have our inheritance on this side of Jordan? We're tired of walking. Let's just stay right here. You can go, uh, you can go ahead of us and, and we're just content with the wilderness experience. They thought that the wilderness was better than the promised land. They walked by sight instead of by faith. That's the character of Reuben's sons character of many of us. Sometimes we think that the wilderness of this world is more fun and more pleasing and more pleasurable than the promised land in heaven. And many times we want to stay right here. We want to build up our lives here in this world. We're walking by sight instead of by faith. They thought the wilderness was better. And so they said, let's just receive our inheritance here. And Moses responds in verse 14 of Numbers 32. And he says, and look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. They were copying the character of their father, Reuben unstable as water. Another example in the book of Numbers chapter 16, you can write it down, read it later on. But it was the sons of Reuben, Dathan and Abiram, that led out in the rebellion against Moses. As the sons of the firstborn, they thought themselves worthy of leadership in Israel. They thought to themselves, we're the sons of the firstborn. We deserve to be the leaders. We can govern ourselves. And so because of their pride, they lifted up themselves. And Bible says that pride goes before fall. You remember the story. The ground opened up and consumed all these children of Reuben, Dathan, and Abiram, and those who followed them. Here we find that, that Reuben's character and the character of his children is that of wavering and vacillating and compromising. It's a fit description of the lives that, that many times we have lived as the church of Laodicea. Can you relate with that this morning? Do you find yourself fitting the character of Reuben, trying to serve two masters and please two sides. Friends, if we do this, we're not going to excel in life. What kind of faith do you have? Is it a faith that, stands, that remains firm when the testing times come? Or is it one that folds very easily when the winds begin to blow? What kind of faith do you have? Friends, let us pray that God will make us strong and stable Christians. That we will not be like Reuben, trying to please both sides and serve two masters. That we would stay focused. We would serve God not with a double mind, but with a mind that is singled to the glory of God. A mind that is focused. Because if we serve God with a double mind, we're not going to excel. We're not going to succeed. And as a result, we will never truly be happy. We're always going to be restless. Like a wave of the sea driven here and there. Restlessness. But is there any hope for Reuben? I mean, when you read Jacob's prophecy, it seems like his prophetic fate is set. You're not going to excel, period. But can Reuben ever be released from this reputation? Is there any hope? You see, Genesis ends with that prophecy. You will not excel. But it's interesting that when you go to the book of Revelation, you find something very different concerning what it said about Reuben. In Genesis, you will not excel, but when you go to Revelation, you find a revelation of hope. 
Remember the question in Revelation 6, verse 17, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? That's the question that chapter 6 closes with. But then Revelation chapter 7, if you turn there with me, it then describes a group of people who are standing firm. They are stable and they are strong in the last days. And notice their description in Revelation chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. Revelation 7, 13, it says, And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where do they come from? And he said to me, Sir, you know, he said to me, These are the ones that have, who have come out of great tribulation and washed their robes. And made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Friends, I want to be a part of this group of people. How about you? Not, they're not, not going to hunger or thirst anymore. They will, they will be able to live in the light of the risen land, lamb throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. And so it describes these group of people. They are the answer to the question, who shall be able to stand? And then if you read in verse 5, it describes the number 144,000 and 12,000 coming from the tribe of guess who? Of Reuben. Friends, it's interesting. In the beginning, Reuben, you're unstable. You're not going to excel because of your, 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 your compromising, rationalizing character. But in Revelation, we find that Reuben's name is counted amongst those who are standing and sealed and saved in the last days. If you read Revelation 21 verse 12, you see John seeing the holy city of New Jerusalem with 12 gates. And above each one of those gates is the name of one of the children of Israel. Reuben has his name on one of those gates. How could this be? In the beginning, you're not going to excel. But in Revelation, his name is glorified and immortalized. Friends, that shows us a very beautiful truth, and that is this. It doesn't matter so much how you begin, but how you end. You may have a, a, a terrible beginning, but friends, it does not matter how you begin. What matters is how you're going to end. It doesn't matter where you came from. It matters on where you're going from this point forward. Your life may be dark. Your past may be sinful, but we serve a God that is in the business of restoration, a God of new beginnings. When you jump into your vehicle, you'll notice that in front of you is a large windshield. Isn't that right? A large windshield, and, in, and then you find a small rearview mirror. And that rearview mirror is very small in comparison to the windshield. And do you know why? For the simple reason that that which is behind you is not as important as that which is in front of you. We may have dark past, but we have a glorious future in Jesus. Every saint has a past, but thank God that every sinner has a future in Christ. I've experienced this myself, friends. You heard a bit about my testimony. I grew up in a broken home, never going to church, totally ignorant of spiritual things. And because I did not have a strong spiritual foundation, I started breaking into people's houses and burglarizing and becoming a compulsive thief and a chronic and a druggie, burning up my brain cells and chasing the world, growing up in brokenness. But I'm happy to tell you that I stand before you here today because there's a God in heaven that is in the business of restoring brokenness. Is your family broken? Are your parents going through a divorce? Are you overwhelmed? 
because you have massive school loans to repay? Are you struggling with your grades? Having problems with your earthly relationships? Are you having a, do you have an addiction in your life? Things you're doing behind closed doors that no one knows about but God and, and you're struggling against it and you want to be free, but you feel so empty, you feel so dirty, you feel so broken? Well, friends, the good news is this. It does not matter what happened in the past. God wants to give us a new beginning even this morning. The God of Reuben is a God of second chances and a God of new beginnings. And so we find that in the beginning, you will not excel, but at the end, he's counted as those who are immortalized and glorified. And what made the difference? What brought about a change in Reuben's eternal destiny? And what will bring a change in your destiny? Well, turn with me quickly now to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, as we discover what made a change in Reuben's life and what's going to make a change in our lives. Deuteronomy, what chapter are we going to? We're almost finished. Deuteronomy chapter 33, and here's what happened. Here's what made a change in Reuben. In Deuteronomy 33, we find another prophet on his deathbed. This time, it's Moses. And just like Jacob gathered his sons to prophesy upon their lives, now Moses is gathering the leaders of the tribes of Israel to his side. And he begins to prophesy over each one of the tribes of Israel. And I want you to notice what he says concerning Reuben. Deuteronomy 33 verse 1, the Bible says, Now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And notice what is said of Reuben. Jumping down to verse 6. And I hope and pray that these words hit you like it hits me. Here's what the prophet said. Let Reuben live. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. Here we find something amazing. A blessing is pronounced upon Reuben. Yes, Reuben, you're unstable, unreliable, and inconsistent. And because of your compromising, rationalizing spirit, you're not going to excel. And because of that, you deserve to die. You deserve to be left alone. But God says, let Reuben live because we serve a God that does not give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. And that's mercy and a second chance. Yes, we've lived a double life with a double mind. Yes, we are the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm ones. And we deserve to be left alone, friends. We deserve nothing from God but death. We deserve just to be put on the side. But we serve a God, friends, that says, let Reuben live. And you put your name right there. Let Ashley live. Let Tony live. Let Ben live. Let Allison live. Put your name there. God is pleading, let my children live. And we can live because he died for us. And his death, his second death, gives us a second chance. Amen? Why is there a seeming contradiction? Jacob said, you're not going to excel. But Moses says, let Reuben live. It seems to be a contradiction. What brought about a change? Turn with me now to the book of Judges, chapter 5. Here's what brought about the change, friends. From you will not excel to let him live. Judges, chapter 5, and notice what it says in verse 16. Judges 5, 16. The Bible says, here's what made the difference. Why abodest thou amongst the sheepfolds? To hear the bleatings of the flocks. For the divisions of Reuben, there were what? Great searchings of heart. 
What brought about a change in the tribe of Reuben? The Bible says that they began to search their hearts. And upon the searching of their hearts, their eyes became focused. Their minds became clear. Now they began, they began to see their wretchedness and their need of Christ's righteousness. And they realized that the same God that brought about a firm rebuke, you will not extill because of your instability, is, is the same God that brings hope and pardon and forgiveness. They realized that the God of Reuben is a God of second chances. And they realized that it was not too late for God to change their eternal destiny. And that ought to encourage each one of us this morning. Amen? Friends, in this antitypical day of atonement, that's the work that God has called us to do, to search our hearts, to take inventory of our lives, to examine the foundation of which we're building our life upon, and to make sure that it's not the sinking sand, but the solid rock. It's time to examine ourselves to search our hearts, to go a little bit deeper, because, friends, how is destiny changed? How is destiny determined? Watch me carefully. In order to answer how destiny is changed, we first must know how destiny is determined. And so it's like this. It is our mind that produces our thoughts and our feelings. Our thoughts and feelings are made manifest in our words and actions. Words and actions form our habits. Our habits make up our character, and it's our character that determines our destiny. In other words, our destiny is determined by our character. Our character is made up of our habits. Our habits are simply the result of our words and actions, which are the result of our thoughts and feelings. So in order to change destiny, we must let God change our character, our habits, our words and actions, our thoughts and feelings. But you go down to the root, it all begins with the mind. And that's why the Bible says we need to search our hearts, to think clearly, to examine ourselves in light of eternity, to consider the decisions that we make day by day. And if, if those decisions are being based upon a solid rock foundation or the sinking sand, if you want God to change your destiny, let God change your mind. Who are you yielding your mind to? The good news is, there is mercy for Reuben and Laodicea alike. But the condition, Bible says in Lamentations 3 verse 40, let us search and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. St. Corinthians 13 says, examine yourselves, whether you're truly in the faith. And then it says in Psalms 139, verse 23 and 24, and we close with this. This is the prayer that I invite you to pray with me today. Psalms 139, 23, and 24, the Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Is that your prayer today? Is that your desire? We're out of time. And as we close, lots more we can say about Reuben. But the thing I want you to remember, friends, is that even though we've made mistakes, even though we've tried to serve two masters, even though we are 
worthy of the prophecy, you will not excel. There's a God that wants to change your eternal destiny. A God that wants to give you a brand new character, brand new habits, brand new thoughts and feelings, a brand new heart. And I want to encourage you, don't live a life that when you come to the end of it, you're filled with regrets. Don't live your life building upon the sinking sand foundation of your own desires. But let's build our life upon the solid rock foundation, the Lord Jesus, the living word, as well as the written word, so that when he comes in the clouds, we will be counted amongst those wise men who have the wisdom, that are stable and strong, and that will be able to stand when the final winds begin to blow. I want to be like that. How about you? If so, I invite you. If you want to join me in that prayer, Lord, search my heart to refocus our lives, to make us ready for his coming. I invite you to stand with me as we close this morning with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. And Lord, reveal to us any wicked way that is in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Father, forgive us for being so much like Reuben, double-minded, unstable, inconsistent. Many times we have experienced a roller coaster religion, schizophrenic spirituality. Forgive us, Lord, for being so concerned about what other people think about us instead of what you have declared already concerning us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've tried to please ourselves and please you at the same time. Lord, we ask and we acknowledge that we are worthy of the prophecy, that we won't excel. But we thank you so much, dear God. Our hearts are filled and overwhelmed with gratitude that you're the God that changes destiny. You're the God that brings a new beginning, a second chance. And Father, we receive it today. We ask, dear Lord, that you'd please reveal to us what it is that is stopping us from living life to the full, from reaching our full potential. Reveal to us that sin, that secret sin in our lives that is, that is stealing the joy that you want us to have and that's making us so restless. And I pray, Lord, that you would please remove it from our hearts and give us your righteousness. Give us your holiness. Give us the mind of Christ so that we can have the destiny of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer. Thank you for the time that we've spent together. And Father, as we've heard this solemn message, as we leave this place today, help us to take that sense of solemnity in our hearts, that sense of conviction. But also, Lord, may we go out with joy, knowing that Jesus is our friend, that you're a God of mercy and forgiveness and pardon, and that today we can live a new life in Christ. That we can be amongst that people, who will stand when you come. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for that assurance. Bless us the rest of this Sabbath is our prayer in Jesus' name that all of God's forgiven Reubens say, 
Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.